Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest, the award-winning master blender for Doc Swenson's whiskeys, Jesse Parker. Hey, what you drink? There was a point in time, specifically when I lived in Houston. So this was this was back in you know the early two thousands, and you know very Spanish influenced, Hispanic uh, influenced area, and I, I just found myself very enamored by the culture. And I think the thing that I liked about it was that I couldn't fully understand what was going on. And so my brain was constantly trying to figure out what was going on, right? I knew a little bit of the language, but not enough to really understand. And so I think that I I was constantly trying to figure out how does all of this fit? And that's the thing that I like about Latin jazz in particular. So what have you learned on this journey? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're, you're still on this journey. You don't like to think of yourself as a master, but there's a couple of awards that, that have your name on it. They call you a master, so l- let's go with it. And people don't realize that I actually get to see you when we have this conversation. And there's a sparkle in your eye. You, you, don't, you don't seem to be talking about a job. It almost feels like you're talking about a craft. It absolutely is. I, I think at a young age, I knew I, I wanted to pursue something that I would be proud of, something that I could really put a lot of love and my heart into. Um, the spirits happen to be it um, for, for so many different reasons, which, which is why I'm, I'm really thankful to be a part of this team here, Doc Swinson's. Um, and for them to, I mean, they're all a little older than me, for them to trust it, you know, at the, at the time, a 25-year-old kid to, <laughs> to basically to run with this and, and and support me uh, on this journey to make these, these whiskeys. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm never forced into doing anything that I don't think is, is the right way to go by any means. I was like, okay, how would you like to do this, Jesse? This seems great. Let's see if we can make it happen. You know, we'll run the numbers here. We'll get the product there, come up with a plan. And I have to be, you know, I have to say thanks. Thanks to my team the most. Uh, they're, they're incredibly supportive of me and it absolutely is not a job. <laughs> I'm here a lot of hours. It's not because they make me. <laughs> it's wow. just it's just what I love. I, I feel kind of married to it, actually. So <laughs> I, I I get it. I get it. Especially when I hear you talk about you're constantly thinking about different tweaks that can make it better. That that's not something that most people do at a job. Uh, that is what people usually do when they found a craft? How do I perfect this? How do I make this a little different? What if I were to do this other thing? What might that do to this thing that I already think is pretty good? 
Certainly. I, I, I mean, I have to say, I think I'm pretty, pretty lucky to be able to have this opportunity um, first and foremost. And, and second of all, if you're spending this much, you know, spending so much time somewhere, you know, hopefully you like it. <laughs> yeah. My parents told me that a lot. They're like, you better love the people you work around and, and the stuff you do, because you'll probably spend more time with them than your spouse. <laughs> and that's a true statement. That is a true statement. I think that, that rang pretty solid. <laughs> Okay. And then, you know, something too that I, I, again, this is an education for me, but you, you call it a blending house. It's not a distillery. Help me understand the difference between a blending house and a distillery. Sure. Sure. Um, so a distillery, at least in my opinion, and this is probably how most people would describe it as well, is somebody who processes the grains itself, uh, makes a mash out of it, ferments it, distills it, um, and maybe ages it, maybe, it, maybe they don't, depending on what products they're making. Whereas a blending house is is someone who takes products from other other places and then and then compiles a new new blend out of them, and that's precisely what we do here. So, for example, we buy whiskeys from a number of different distilleries, um, primarily MGP, which is a pretty well known one um, for being for doing exactly this. We manipulate them here at, at our blending house here in the Pacific Northwest. So, everything that that abdoxins that goes into a bottle um, comes to us. As a barrel, uh, you know, we try as much of it as we can at first before we buy the lot of it, and then we specifically age it for you know a minimum of five years in the Midwest, some up towards fifteen as well, and potentially a little bit older from time to time if we're lucky. Uh, and then we bring it here, and then uh, every single product I've ever released is a blend of at least two mash bills, or a minimum it's been finished in another cask. So. With the exception of our single barrel, of course. Our single barrel is, is pretty straightforward. We buy the barrels, we age them in a place we want them to be aged, and then we bottle it. That's the only one that gets the exception that it doesn't really get manipulated by me other than I pick the single barrels for the clients that they can choose from. So that that's the art that we have behind us is, is I have the ability to work with a number of different distilleries that all do a really great job of making these, these, these base whiskeys. And, and my goal is to essentially... Uh, how am I going to season the steak, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. Or, or the veggies or whatever, whatever you want to do, you know, how much olive oil is going to go on there, how much salt, how much pepper, you know, um, butter, et cetera. That's essentially what I'm doing. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. And then Doc Swinson. Uh, now, in my part of the of the country, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Doc Swinson, uh, which is actually kind of making me sad because this is really, really good. I mean, this is like a mate. This is a very drinkable um, bourbon. Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me who are very, very new to the whiskey game, and they will ask me, hey, where should I start? This is not a bad place to start. I mean, this is really, really good. What's the story? What's the Doc Swinson story? Yeah, certainly. So I, it's kind of funny. I mean, part of the goal here was to, we call it elevating our whiskeys, right? So it was to take good whiskeys and make them into great whiskeys, ones that are also approachable, but also incredibly complex. So anybody that's not familiar, like, I don't really know what good whiskey is, would drink this and say, wow, this is, this is unique. This is better than anything I've, I've arguably had in, in you know, possibly their whole life, or they, they had a bad experience with their, et cetera. We want them to enjoy it and say, wow, I have a new appreciation for whiskey. And on the flip side, the connoisseurs, the people out there who know far more about whiskey, arguably than I do, that are, you know, know the nitty gritty details of every single brand out there. Um, we want them to be able to say, wow, this is, this is pretty excellent. Wow. This is, they can understand what direction I'm going with it. Um, which sometimes is an uphill battle kind of going back to what I said earlier, the finished whiskeys are not everybody wants to pick one up because sometimes they have a bad rap. 
or, you know, your, your purist, <laughs> but I've actually had a lot of people who are like, I don't like Finnish whiskeys. And these are pretty darn good. Um, but kind of wandering back the, the name in particular, Doc Swinson's, um, I don't have a great straightforward answer. Um, other than Doc Swinson's is, it was a person, um, from the turn of the century, he was kind of a, a, a rebel of sorts, um, that, uh, really helped uh, start the city of Seattle. Um, he was a doctor, hence the name. Um, what kind of doctor at the time I'm not as familiar with. I'm sure there was some uh, questionable aspects, <laughs> like everything back then. Back in the back in those days. Yeah, you know, and whiskey was the fix for most things. <laughs> it really was. Um, but we we didn't really want the brand to hinge on this person because in the end that's not who we are, and it's not really a regional product. Um, I mean, we do all the blending and and a good chunk of the aging and finishing here in the Pacific Northwest, but it's also done, it's, 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 it's fermented and distilled in the Midwest. It's aged for, you know, a minimum of five years in the Midwest to take on those classic bourbon or rye whiskey notes, depending on what we're working with. And really Doc Swinson is kind of the embodiment of us, the team here. And there's, there's four of us primarily in the office that uh, we're all a little bit harebrained. We're all a little bit odd. We all really enjoy drinking really good whiskey and we're here to enjoy it. And we think Doc Swinson's as a brand is what kind of embodies that that essence, so to speak. We're a little mad scientist too, so it kind of works out. None of us have a back, a true background or, or pedigree in this, you know. Um, and yet here we are. We're, we're running with uh, some of the the greats out there as far as um, competitions go, and and you know, tastemakers such as yourself, you know, who are like, wow, you're playing jazz, man. I mean, you know, again, I mean, when you think about the the fundamentals of this jazz metaphor. You know, one of my invisible board members is Miles Davis. And Miles Davis said famously, in order to be a great jazz musician, you should you have to learn everything you can and then forget everything that you've learned and just show up and play. And oh my gosh, and I think about that. I mean, so often people want to leave out one of those pieces, right? They they don't want to learn, they just want to get out there and start playing. Well, yeah, you can do some things, right? But you're not doing it on purpose, right? You're just accidentally succeeding if you don't study. Uh, and then there are some who just want to study and they want to be purist. And there's a place for that, but you don't get those pleasant surprises. You know, Miles Davis also said, you know, I don't want you to play what's there. I want you to play what's not there, right? And it's hard to do that if you're so tied to the rules and the, and the structure and and how things are supposed to be done. You're doing both, right? You, you've learned the fundamentals. You've got the courage to try different things. I believe that is going to be your pathway to being an amazing brand. Because first of all, you got a good product. It's hard to become an amazing brand if you don't have good product. And then you're, you're not afraid of the cutting edge. It's hard to do amazing things if you don't take risks and uh, you're doing it, man. You're doing it. Well, well, thank you. That's actually great. That's a great analogy for, for, for I think exactly what's going on, because I, I think that is one of the most difficult things to to contend with is is being somewhere that hasn't really been yet, um, especially in this industry. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's plenty of times where I'm racking my, my brain back and forth. I'm saying, is anybody going to like this? Is this where it needs to be? And that's where you have to go back again and say, trust your gut and say, no, this is this is worth something. This is good, and, and, and let's put it in the market and see see what people actually say. Of course, but um, and maybe tweak it from that a little bit. But in the end, it, we're getting excellent response, and 
this this portion of Docs, this this version of Doc Swinson's is uh, is really only a year, year and a half uh, in the market to be to be totally honest. I mean, I've been working on these kind of ideas for years, most 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 of my adult life, um, but here it is in practice, and maybe a year, year and a half in, and and people are catching on and saying, "Wow, this is this is wild." So it's kind of funny to have to wait this long to actually get this kind of positive feedback. And like you said, you have to be willing to do it. You got to show up. And you have to use the heart and soul to make it happen because you could do everything from a recipe book, but great. <laughs> There's plenty of people out there that can do that probably arguably far better than I. Um, and and this, is, this, is, this is my direction of where I would like to excel. Wow. So now I, I mentioned uh, Miles Davis as being a member of my Invisible Board of Directors. And this, I wouldn't say daredevil, but this willing to take risk comes through in some of the folks that you've listed uh, as being members of your invisible board of directors. And this idea of an invisible board, th these are people who are, they could be living, uh, they could have passed on, they could have been people that you've met, they could have been people that you've only read about or you've experienced on television, but they're, they're someone who, frequently come to mind when you try to make decisions about directions to take or things to do. And you've mentioned some pretty, pretty daring folks on your board. So we got Anthony Bourdain, you've got Gordon Ramsay. Talk, talk me through some of the folks that you've put on your invisible board of directors and why. Uh, surely. Uh, absolutely. So I mean, those, those two, I, Anthony Bourdain and Gordon Ramsay were <laughs> here's a big, big influences in my life as a child. I watched all of their shows when I was a little kid. I mean, even the the early Anthony Bourdain's were, you know, the the TV was still only square, <laughs> and he barely talked at all. And he was so shy. I swear it, it cracked me up. And I, I was, I didn't even know what was really happening half the time. And I would get up in the morning before school every single day, and I would watch Anthony Bourdain and Gordon Ramsay on on TV for like a half hour in the morning, and it was like what I looked forward to. And yeah, they're, they're people who are, who are, who are willing to dare to do something a little bit different uh, to show also what is amazing about what they do to other people. And that's how we all get excited, right? That is like community. It's, it's, it's part of building a community, which I think is incredibly important. And then who else did I put on there? Oh my gosh, Francis Malman. I mean, once again, all big chefs, right? I mean, of course he's a fantastic character. Um, he, he's a showman. And I think that's, that's, that's really fantastic. You got to have a little bit of that in your life too. You got to, that's how you share, how you share good things and somebody who wants to just live it. They just want to be in it all the time, um, which is absolutely incredible. Somebody who's willing to embody what's happening around them and, and use a different medium of art to show everyone else. So all a little bit daredevils and who else do I put in there? One of my, one of my more favorite authors, Jack Kerouac. <laughs> <laughs> well, a leader in the beat generation, um, somebody who is not afraid to be kind of a rebel, uh, somebody out, out, out there, outspoken and in a place that was arguably, uh, yeah, very taboo at the time. Um, and then uh, Hunter S. Thompson was the first book I really remember reading when I was a kid. And I was surprised you, you blame my parents for that one. My, my dad, uh, I remember, I think he got called into a, an office meeting at, at my school, um, uh, for, you know, like, uh, was it sustained silent reading? You have to like read for half hour, 45 minutes every day in class. And, and I just wasn't doing it. Everything the schools gave me, you know, the classic books that every kid wants to read. I just was not interested. And my, my dad handed me a book said, this is one of my favorite books to take to Alaska when he'd be working. 
And uh, he, he'd read it so many times that the binding had fallen apart. I had to keep this book in like a folder. And it was The Curse of Lono by Hunter S. Thompson, hmm. um, illustrated by Ralph Steadman. So a lot of, a lot of questionable drugs went into that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I found myself attached to these books uh, in a number of Hunter S. Thompson books in his life. I, um, and uh, just for being people who were willing to be themselves. And that I think is an important part of the journey that we all have to go through that are also kind of rebel rousers. I'm actually a pretty like logical and reserved person, but uh, I like a little chaos and I like things that are a little bit adjacent to what, what should be, um, which I think is the spice part of the spice of life. Right. And it keeps things interesting and people creating. Wow. I just, I just, I, I love how certain elements of every member of your board seems to be coming through in the personality that I'm seeing here. And it's just interesting to me how they seem to all influence you know, even from the chef's standpoint to the risk takers to, uh, you know, to the authors who are willing to be daring. I don't see how you get to where you are without having those attributes. And so they are definitely strong influences uh, from what I can tell. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're envelope pushers and leaders at the same time um, for whole movements, <laughs> which is great. Uh, they're, they're wonderful people to look up to. And they're not the only ones I'd probably put on the board, but they're, they're the ones that came to mind and they've always been there. Absolutely. Well, hey, you know, one of the things that I, I can't leave my leaders out. So now uh, l- talk to me a little bit about how what you're doing might contribute to advice to leaders who are trying to either move entire organizations or they're just trying to get their thing a little bit, a, a little bit better. And, you know, you've shared so many great leadership principles. Do you think of what you do as being uh, leadership inspiring? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, to be kind of on a a, maybe not maybe not the front runner by any means of the crowd and finished whiskeys or anything like that or or blending American whiskeys, but right there with them saying that, hey, this is possible. And even more so, I think for somebody as young as myself, I mean, most of the people that are doing this uh, have, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 uh, generations of experience within their families. And he, here I am, I have no pedigree in this. Um, and I'm, I'm running right next to them the entire time, uh, or at least recently, <laughs> as we've gotten our products out there. I, I think that's kind of an ode to saying, you know, if you have a dream, you should try and follow it as best you can. Um, and even if it like steps on you half the time, which, which trust me, this isn't easy. Um, you just got to kind of get back up and, and, and give it a try again. Got to be willing to, you know, hit back when you need to, and also be at peace when you need to. Yeah. Talk to me about the role that courage plays in the the leadership role that you're playing right now. How, how big and how important is is courage? It, it's it's pretty big. <laughs> Having the courage to be able to do this and, and put yourself out there. I mean. Um, I guess this is where my mind leads me when I think of this is Doc Swinson is an essence of me. It is the essence of my journey. It's not just because I wanted to click a box and say, I did this because this is what I think people like. This is really me. It's my heart and emotions in this, this bottle. And it takes a lot of courage to put something like that out in the market for thousands and thousands of people to, to make a judgment on. I think that takes an astronomical amount of courage, um, especially when it takes months, several months, usually just before you even hear anything about it again. And that's just kind of weighing on your shoulders a little bit. So, so I think having the courage to be able to do that and say, this is where I want to be. 
and and I want to see what see what happens. Um, it, it's big. Yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like the journey of becoming an author. You know, I, I had long uh, wanted to see if I could become an author, such as some of my heroes, uh, like Patrick Lencioni, Ken Blanchard, you know, just all these iconic Jim Collins, all these books that I've written, that I'd read uh, throughout my career. I wanted to see if I could, if I could stake my point of view and put my point of view out into the world. Anyone can type a point of view. It takes another level to say, I'm going to type and put my point of view in the world. I'm going to put it out to be judged uh, by strangers, people who I've, ne who I've never met before. I'm also going to allow it to be judged by friends and willing to say, this is my point of view. You know, I, I've been out in the world with my offering for a couple of years now, and I still get nervous every time someone says, hey, I picked up your book. D does that happen to you? I mean, do you get nervous when someone says, hey, you know, I was uh, I picked up your uh, Doc Swenson's. Do you get nervous when you get that when you get that email? All the time. And, and, and even <laughs> even worse, when you're like when you go to a place where there's there's lots of these different, you know, these industry greats and, you know, like a convention or a tasting hall or something like that, where there's, you know, everybody's tasting all out, putting all their bourbons out there for a group of people to try. And 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 you hear, you know, the people that you kind of look up to people that, you know, you know, their names they are in your industry, uh, my peers in, in that regard. And, and they say, oh. You're like, oh gosh, what are you going to say? Like, oh, you should have done it this way. You should have done it that way. Or, oh, I don't know. I just don't like these things. And you're like, ah, of course I get nervous, incredibly nervous. But it, it's part of the process of learning, right? I mean, it's, it's being able to assess the criticism that's that's put your direction, um, whether it's constructive or not. Wow. <laughs> it's defining what, exactly sticking to what you want in the end, because just because they don't like it doesn't mean other people won't. Oh, wait, 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 back up. You need to say that again. That is really, really, that's big. I think that's a big thing is, is realizing that the people around you that you, maybe you look up to, um, even if they don't like it, it doesn't mean you should change what you're doing because then you're just going to, you know, you're going to homogenize, you're going to turn to the same thing as they are. And you might as well just, you might as well just read the recipe book and bake the same cake. Why, why do that when you could, you know, put something else in that maybe a whole nother group of people really love. Part of my goal is to change some, some people's perspective of, of American whiskey. You know, a lot of people out there say, Oh, I don't, I don't like bourbon. <laughs> It's delicious. So try this one. <laughs> try that one. Or I'm happy to recommend a different product too. Wow. Uh, hey, I, I am so enjoying this conversation. Man, I, I've got to bring you into the VIP rooms because my, my VIPs are going to love you. And I, I really want to, in that conversation, have you talk more about uh, this courage piece. And, and I love what you're saying about uh, although people might be giving you feedback, uh, they might be giving you advice, not all feedback should be followed. Uh, not all advice is good advice. You still need to maintain your point of view. And even that takes courage. Uh, so I just really love to you know, have you share more about that. But in the VIP room, that, that, this is enough free stuff right for the free podcast so if you've got a few more minutes man i'd love to bring you into the vip have you have you really dig into this conversation sounds great to me i'm excited for it 
All right, man. Well, hey, man, uh, for now, man, thank you so much. Raise your glass and uh, let's toast out. Uh, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for uh, uh, for the gift of my new favorite bourbon. Um, I, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do when this bottle is gone. Right. So this is I, I got to recalibrate my entire list now because I thought I knew what my list was. This is messing up a whole lot right now. So thank you for that. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's been wonderful. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.